Good morning, everyone. Some of you know, of course, of the past several days, I've been in Washington, D.C. We had three of young women from our ministry and our parish taking their first vows with the order that we know as the Servidoras. They were here early this year for our Lenten mission. And over the years, we've had about eight young women join this specific order. We've had others join other orders, but there have been a great number that have been attracted to this order that was originally founded in Argentina and spends most of their time doing work of evangelizing the culture. And so all together, 12 women who took their first vows um, in this small church filled with people, family and friends, from all over the nation. And it was just a magnificent time. We had about 50 or 60 people from Lafayette who went, family and friends. There was prayer the night before with a dinner and games for family members. There was the beautiful ceremony, a great celebration and reception afterwards, and then everyone getting back to the junior at the convent to be able to visit until about 8 o'clock at night. It was just a magnificent and joyful celebration, so much like other times that I've been able to be with the Servidoras or with other religious orders. And so as I was flying back yesterday, coming back for weekend masses, I started spending some time thinking about the meaning of the first vows, and its connection in today's, or to today's gospel. And something really struck me, one line that really jumped off of the page, that after Jesus tells Zacchaeus, hey, I'm coming to your house, Zacchaeus comes down from the tree and receives Jesus with great joy. He received the Lord with great joy. And that perfectly, in my opinion, at least summed up what I witnessed in my time with those sisters and with those sisters in particular. They're so joyful. I'm sure they have bad days. I'm sure they have times that are rough. But overall, they're just joyful, more than happy. Happy is like, hey, I'm going to the circus today or I'm having a great day. Joy is something that is so deeply instilled in one's soul and what's mine. I could sit here and tell you all kinds of stories, but you just need to go on Facebook or Instagram and see all the pictures of the faces of these sisters and their family members and friends to be able to see the joy, the joy that casts out anxiety, that is deep and lasting and transforms the mind and the heart. It's a joy that's contagious. I have been joyful ever since I got back. It's one of the reasons I love going and spending time with those sisters and other religious sisters. They're so joyful and it rubs off on you. It brings a brighter view to your mind and to your heart. And so I was thinking, though, what is their secret? Why are these sisters and, and so many other religious sisters so joyful? Because the mentality I think a lot of people have and probably it's because of stereotypes in Hollywood that sisters are, are mean and they're wrapping people on their knuckles. 
It may or may not have been the case. I really doubt that it actually ever was that serious of a problem. But that's not what religious sisters are like today. Millennial young women are flocking to different religious orders. The Servidoras, the average age of their sisters, and there are about a thousand of them throughout the world, is in the late 20s. And they're all individual, and they're all unique, and they're all so filled with Christ and filled with joy. What is their secret? Well, over my time as a seminary and as a priest, I've worked enough with religious sisters, giving retreats, spending time with them, getting to know young women who've joined the order that I think that talking to them, I've come to see that I think there are three specific things that if you talk to them or you witness them would be, or they consider to be the secret to their joy. And the first one is the most important. These sisters know Jesus. When they talk about Jesus, you can hear it in the way they describe him. They don't just say the Lord or my Savior. They talk about their friend Jesus. They talk about their spouse Jesus. They know Jesus as a real living person. They don't just know about him. He's not an abstraction that exists in their imagination. He's someone who's really alive. They have a relationship with him. They love him and they know that he loves them. He as a person is central to everything they do. That he's alive, he's risen from the dead, he's still in control of the world, and he's still acting in their lives and showing them love. This is for me so, so central. They talk about Jesus like he's a living person like he's a friend, like he's their spouse, and they encounter him every day in a real prayer life, in the sacraments, particularly in adoration and particularly in mass and confession. I realize that I don't talk about Jesus that way, and a lot of us don't either. We talk about the Lord, but is he really a living person that we have a relationship with that transforms our life? Rarely is that the case. Wish it were... But for these sisters, it is. Jesus is a person and central in their life. The second thing is the one that probably comes as sort of an irony to the minds of a lot of people in talking to and working with religious sisters. Poverty, chastity, and obedience. The evangelical counsels, those three vows that the sisters take, are central to their experience of joy to give up material wealth, to give up marriage, and to put yourself in obedience to your superior who could send you wherever in the world knowing that it's the voice of Christ speaking through that superior. It is not a burden or an obligation or a duty that's put on their shoulders. And this is the whole homily from the first vows. The priest talked about how the vows are a perfection of love. You do these things not because you have to, but because you want to, because you love Jesus, because you love others. And so as a result, poverty and chastity, obedience done out of love, not burdens at all, but actually great joys and delights. And to see the sisters as they're making their vows and to see the joy that comes from it. I was privileged that not only am I a fairly tall person, but the celebrant was pretty short, so I was able to see right over him and to watch the faces 
of those young women as they made their vows in the moments afterwards. Their faces were completely radiant. If I didn't care and I didn't have any mass etiquette, I'd have probably taken pictures. But you can still see the pictures from other parts of the mass. They're so joyful. There's no brainwashing here. Believe me, I know what brainwashing is. These young women are not brainwashed, but yet they are giving up so much in order to follow Jesus. Family, friends, being a mother, giving up a career in order to follow the Lord in poverty, chastity, obedience. And what it does, and I've seen it, it frees them in this radical way to be able to serve Jesus totally. They don't see it as a burden, but it's a way that frees them up to be able to serve Christ and to be able to serve others. And you can see that it's real because of the joy that they experience and all of the sisters experience living out this way. They don't have to worry about a bunch of the garbage, as we'll see, that you and I, even I as a diocesan priest, have to worry about on a daily basis. They can focus on serving and loving Jesus. And third and finally, you talk to them, and you're going to hear this phrase come up over and over and over again. I believe, again, is central to the experience of joy. It's abandonment to divine providence. Another way of saying a radical trust in the Lord. That Jesus is in control. That he knows what's best for us. And if we say yes to him, he's going to make sure everything works out for the good of those who love the Lord. And believe me, this abandonment of divine providence is not easy at all. I saw these young women, all of them, really struggle with it before they enter the convent. Worrying, what's going to happen to my family? Worrying if they're going to be happy. Worrying that they're going to struggle not being able to be a physical mother. Worrying that they're going to get sent to some place that's miserable. But each and every one of those young women came to a point where they decided they were going to step out of the boat and overcome their fear and anxiety. To put the trust in the Lord, as Peter had to do when he stepped out of the boat that the Lord was going to sustain them. And they've seen from that point forward, the Lord has sustained them. They know, they've experienced that he is in control. And they abandon themselves to divine providence every minute of the day. So these sisters in particular, they beg for their food and for everything that they want and they need. They, they wait for the Lord to provide for them. And again, the Lord works in some pretty magnificent ways. They had a dinner of food for 400 people. Who ended up providing a lot of it? Deacon Kobe, because they went and asked Deacon to provide some of the sauce. And believe me, so the food was much better than it normally is because it had some nice spice to it. It was delicious. And the Lord works in some pretty fantastic ways. They never worry about anything. And whatever they do receive, they're so thankful for. I was listening to one sister talk about her birthday. She was away from her family, away from her friends. The best thing about her birthday was being able to have a cupcake with a candle in it and have the sisters sing a little song to them, to her, for her birthday. It is this abandonment of divine providence and saying, the God is a good father. He's got me taken care of. I don't need to worry. I can be a joyful child resting and living in his gaze. 
Certainly there's storms. It's not always easy. And they probably didn't show it me the times that it's not easy all the time. But they have so many stories in their lives that indeed the Lord provides and they have every reason to be joyful in that. Now, you're going to say, Father, this is wonderful and edifying. I'm going to go look at all the pictures on Facebook and to see the bright, smiling faces of the sisters. But we're not sisters. We have jobs. We have families we have to provide for. We've got all kinds of stuff going on in our lives. We live in such a busy, anxious culture and society. It can't be the same way for us. How can we experience joy like those sisters do? Well, the truth is, and I'm going to be very honest, and people may not like this, the sisters have chosen the better part. They are the ones who chose to give up the world to follow Christ in a radical way. And scripture and tradition are very, very clear. This is the way of perfection. Go read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul says, I wish you were all like me, unmarried, because the married person has to worry about all kinds of things, taking care of their household, providing for their spouse, but the person who's not can dedicate their whole entire lives to serving the Lord and experiencing that joy. And so, yes, they get to live for Jesus alone. They don't have to worry about paying for bills. They don't have to worry about changing diapers. They don't have to worry about all this other stuff. They can dedicate their lives in a unique way that we simply can't, and nor I as a parish priest even cannot in serving Jesus. So they chose the better part. But it doesn't mean that, well, we didn't, so we have to live a life of anxiety and we can't experience joy. That's not the case at all. We can still participate in that joy we can still experience the same joy those sisters do because we have the ability to live out, maybe not to the same degree that the sisters do, the things that are so central to their joy. We can all come to know Jesus. We can all spend more time in prayer and come to know his love for us, to receive him into our house, but we've got to be able to put time aside for that. Yeah, our days are busy, but believe me, the sisters' days are busy too. We can come to know the Lord personally. We can also, maybe not in the same way, live out poverty, chastity, obedience in the world. We can all be more generous and less attached to our material goods for happiness. We can all be more chaste in our hearts in focusing and giving and receiving pure love, even in marriage. And we can also come to know that obedience of that mutual submission to our spouses, and I as a priest of obedience to the bishop. But most importantly, we all can on a daily basis and probably have a lot more opportunity than the sisters do to trust in divine providence. When the anxiety comes, when the worry comes, to say, Lord, I trust in you. It's the joy that is the exact opposite of the anxiety that we allow to take over our lives so often. And the solution is Jesus, living poverty, chastity, obedience, and being able in every moment to say, Jesus, I trust in you. I want to live in this present moment. But I'll conclude by saying what I think, though, is the real key for making this tangible. Because so often we may experience it for a little bit, but time comes and the anxiety and the worry take over. 
How is it that we can constantly remind ourselves of the call to receive Jesus and live in joy? And I think the best way that we can do it is by putting ourselves around and being with people who are genuinely joyful. I can tell you, I love going to be with those and other sisters. Because I can tell you if I'm in a really, really bad mood within five minutes, whether it be the Dominicans or the Servadors or the Carmelites or the Sisters of Life, I am going to experience joy because I said their joy flows over and is really contagious. This is one of the things that I think would really transform the church if we had more religious sisters. Again, we don't have as many as we used to, and we'd love to have more in all of our parishes. And so that's why it's important for us to pray for vocations and be willing to allow our young daughters and nieces and granddaughters, encourage them to go and pursue this vocation that brings about so much joy and not being selfish jerks and standing in the way and not wanting them to follow what the Lord is inviting them to do. But if we can't import a bunch of sisters in, we can look around ourselves and know the people in our lives that are joyful, that do know Jesus, that are detached and live in divine providence, and to make it a point to be around them more often and to let their joy seep over into our lives and gradually transform our hearts so that as we learn to live much more joy and abandonment to providence and love of Jesus, that God willing, we can have that same effect on others, and then we can become individuals, a community, and a church that knows what it is like to receive Jesus and live with him in joy. Amen.